which I think is also very interesting because normally you don't see that. But Oslo was originally a play. Did you see that play? Did you read the play? No. Um, I saw the benefit performance at the Tonys, and it definitely intrigued me, and I wanted to go see it, and then, you know, the building shut down. So. Right. Well, J.T. Rogers adapted his own Tony-winning award play for the screen, and then it was directed by Bartlett Sher. Do you remember The King and I? <laughs> Do you remember? I mean, it also is the first big foray. It's a very complex conversation about the Israeli-Palestine back channel negotiations that took place in Oslo by these two people who just decided after having visited Gaza that they knew nobody was getting anywhere, so they were going to sort of set up these back room negotiations. I mean, did you have any idea that was going on? Well, you were too young, but I remember this period of time in history, but I had forgotten that both Rabin and uh, Yasser Arafat were both assassinated and probably over this. I, I forgot. Well, I, I remembered all that. I, I should give, you know, a precursor to this to let the audience know that I, I am Jewish. I've been to Israel several times. I consider myself kind of a, a modern Zionist in the sense that I believe in a two-state solution and I believe in a free Palestine. I remember the Camp David talks. I remember Yasser Arafat coming to America and that being a huge deal. Because at the, at the time, and this is interesting to me because the movie's fantastic, by the way. I can't recommend it highly enough. I know. The acting and the ability of these men to elicit a visceral response from me of empathy and pride and encouragement and all those things. But Roxana um, Hadidi, who reviews, by the way, for abclub.com, you know, it's a really good thing, but she said something that was very interesting. It's difficult to watch the film version of Oslo, the Tony Award-winning play by J.T. Rogers, without a sense of grim irony. No piece of art is objective. No work of fiction has the responsibility of sticking to every real-life fact. But the historical developments Oslo skips over in its discussion of what inspired the secret discussions between the Israeli and the Palestinians, the fear-mongling news footage it uses to pad out its runtime, and the side with which it aligns our perspective tip its hand toward a certain vision of history that feels jarringly out of step with our current reality. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, she's not wrong about any of that. What's interesting to me is we've gone from, at that time period, in 92, and prior to that, anything prior to 92, and also, of course, everything that was happening in the Middle East was referred to as the Arab-Israeli conflict. After the Oslo Accords, everything was referred to as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Interesting. Israelis went from being kind of the victims of the Arab world to being the perpetrators against the Palestinian world. Well, she goes on to say, um, and I think this really lays it out, because it's hard to describe what happened, and she wrote it better than I could, so I'm going to read what she wrote. Rogers adapted from his own play focuses on the covert negotiations, key word covert, between the Israeli government and the Palestinian Liberation Organization that went on between 92 and 93. In December 1992, married Norwegian couple, Mona Jule, who's played by Ruth Wilson, who I haven't seen since the affair, and she nails the, the accent and everything else. A diplomat in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs 
and Terry Rod Larson uh, was played by Andrew Scott, a sociologist. And director of the Fafel Foundation think tank decide to insert themselves into the Israeli-Palestinian to the Israeli-Palestinian talks already taking place with the U.S. involvement because it's against Israeli law for a member of the Israeli government to meet directly with a PLO representative. Imagine that. You couldn't, if you saw them in an airport, you couldn't sit down and have a cup of coffee. And because, and they, at that time, the PLO was considered a terrorist organization. Nasser Erekson was considered a terrorist. Right. Well, they open up the first of the talks with them and they both present the dire, dismal situation of how they feel about the other side in a beautiful, wonderful way. And it's such a dance. It's a, you know, it's a seductive dance of this is what you did to me and this is what you did to me. And both of them take a moment to sit back and say, okay, neither one of us is without fault here. Now, where are we going to go from here? So, I mean, it was, it was a great moment. But um, anyway, let me just finish off what she's saying. And because PLO leadership, including Chairman Yasser Arafat, never seen on screen, which I think is also interesting, were then based out of Tunisia, Two years of negotiations under American eyes have resulted in a little progress. It was all political. You know, there, there was no progress because there, some people didn't want there to be, you know. So these two people sort of set this up. And I think there are two things we need to talk about. But the first one is, I learned a lot about the art of negotiation. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I don't know how familiar any of our audience is, or you're very politically adept, so you probably know far more about this than I do. But in my visits to Israel, I've been several times, and I've been on several different tours. Yes, I did birthright, and that was very brainwashy, and I'm really glad I got to go, but like, you get what you pay for, which is nothing, so then you can, you know, <laughs> so you leave, you leave with their point of view embedded in your brain. Yeah, and I went on another trip afterwards that was more of like a cultural trip, and we got a tour of Tel Aviv Java. By a, and, he, and this was how he identified a Palestinian Arab Israeli. Uh, he was a young man, he was probably like in his 20s, and we had stones thrown at us by a small child, not uncommon. And somebody in my group asked him if he voted in the Knesset elections. And he said no, because his voice isn't heard. And our group like, couldn't understand it, and he worked in a telephone job with two Israelis, and they handled the Israeli customers, and he handled the Palestinian customers. And they never spoke to each other. He never spoke to the Israelis, and they never spoke to him. And that lays the groundwork. I mean, for sure, there are lots of instances of those, but the way they layer this out, the way they get people to, at one point, one of the great quotes in the film, Larson says, you have to leave the past behind and focus on one element of your future. And you have to focus on having a future. And I thought that was so, you know, I, I love the idea of sitting down when I negotiated the breakup of a small company that did very well, but they've been partners since its inception and they decided to split. And they both came to the table and behaved that way. But I didn't have the knowledge base to make that kind of statement, which I thought was so good. Like, instead of bringing your 20 lists of things you're pissed off about. Come to the table with a future in mind and let's see if we can get there. And the second thing he did was when you're in this room, all you do is talk about the issues and this deal we're going to put together. And then when you're out of this room and you come for meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're not allowed to 
talk to me anymore. Now, and then what you're going to do is you're going to tell us who you are. You're going to share your feelings. You're going to share your families. You're gonna, and that you could see how all of a sudden the likability of each other and the understanding of the same names of their daughters and, you know, all kinds of little things that said, I'm really not that different than you. Well, there's 2,000 years of history here. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I told the story about the young man who works in the phone shop is because all the people who worked in that shop have been raised to know that the person across the room from them wants them dead. That's it, right? There's 2,000 years of history, and these men in this room have been raised with their specific point of view in mind that the person across the table from them wants them dead. Yeah, I get that. But again, I think the film is pretty good about not focusing on those kinds of... No, but I I think what they're so successful in is showing me the other person that you're human. Yeah. Right? And at the end of the day, we're all human. And they're telling jokes, and they're, you know, yeah, they cross a line or two, uh, and we realize they set their own rules for themselves. There are certain topics that are off-limits. Right, and there are certain things that they have to kick down the road because they know you can't talk about Jerusalem. You just can't, right? And that's the only way you're going to find some progress is if you deal with the small things first and build up. And I thought they did such a beautiful job of that, of showing them, of showing that they could recognize that the person across from them was a person first of all. Now, Tommy, what do you think of the acting? Ruth Wilson, unbelievably good, huh? She's great, and she has a, a really pivotal moment that I thought she was great in. I was a little frustrated, and I think that's the point. She's the character that kind of sets the rules, right, of no interference. No one can fix this for them. They have to fix it for themselves. And I think she did a really beautiful job of establishing that that was the only way that this was going to get fixed, right? And Andrew Scott, who I know a lot from Sherlock and from Fleabag, who is so hysterically funny and is now taking on a really kind of serious role, still injects his humor into it, and the two of them together, I just thought, were, were really perfect. And But also, you know, the other thing he injects, I haven't seen him, I haven't watched this, I haven't seen him, but the other thing he injects into it is he has a vulnerability, and I like, you know, you just like him right away, and you trust him, and you want him to be your brother, and you want to sit next to him at dinner, you know, it's, you know, he really... I think is wonderful on the screen in terms of wooing me and I thought they both were great. And I also think I thought the head of the Israeli delegation and the head of the Palestinian delegation, both of them were so compelling as characters. I thought the character development of both of them was brilliantly laid out. I thought the Palestinian delegation was phenomenal. Yeah, they were all you know the man who plays Hassan Asfor, uh Walid Zotair. And Celine Dow, they're just incredible. The way they're able to, the first meeting between Amula and the Israeli economist who comes in to first start these negotiations, is my heart was pounding through my chest. Because this was the first time this man had ever met a Jew ever in his life. And not only that, he says it, but he says it in a way that's not only believable. It's not even anti-Semitic. It's like, you know, it's just this vulnerable moment of you're my first Jew. I mean, who, you know. And it's terrifying to him, right? I can only imagine how terrifying that is. The person who represents 
Poland was a country that's been demolished so many times. World War II, and then when the Russians came in afterward, and then and they've had a lot of dissent since uh, the Russians left. And I couldn't help but think he has a history, a personal history, that can help him take a look at this from a little bit of a distance, but know how to film it. I think it's really, really well done, and also very different than anything he's ever done. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because he, he did do Bridge of Spies, and the look of this kind of reminds me of that a bit. Interesting, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's a genius, and, a, you know, Munich as well. Obviously, we're working on a, on a theme here with Spielberg. But he's adaptable. And this, being able to make you feel, because there are movies, right? Like, if you watch Room, and Lily Abramson does a beautiful job of this, after the first 20 minutes of Room, you're begging to get out of that room. And this is part of the writing, part of the directing as well, but Kaminsky makes it feel like you're not stuck there. Well, you know, one of the things he's did was The Judge. Yeah. I don't think it was seen by so many people, but I happen to love that film. And Robert Downey Jr. was in it, and it takes place in a lot of it takes place in a courtroom. And I think he used some of the same techniques, and I want to go back and sort of check it out later, but... Just to watch it for his work alone, make sure when you're watching it, you make a mental note to really watch how he filmed it, because it was brilliantly done. There's one scene where everybody thinks somebody's walking out of the negotiations, and he ends up taking them into the garage, and, and you find out that he's not walking out at all. It's a very sort of... Remember the movie Witness with Harrison Ford? And they had the barn scene where... Harrison Ford and the woman he is trying to protect, they start dancing. It's, a, it's, a very, it's one of the top scenes of that film and what made it the kind of romantic film people wanted to watch. It's the same kind of technique, really, really well done. So, I don't know, I can't really speak more highly about that was such a big part of this film, I think. Yeah, they did a great job of working in kind of all of the personalities that you need around the table like this. You know, the, the son you think is going to be the entrenched one, but he's the one who kind of ends up saving the day a little bit. And it's very well done. The only thing I wish that we got more of is a little bit more of the scope of the history. Because I think everyone coming to the table to watch this, as with any film, is going to come with their preconceived notions. And they do a great job of walking you through this specific instance, and I think they did that purposefully. But I think understanding the pressure and the history and the heartbreak to bring these people to this room and what a risk it is for them to walk into this room. Right. Well, it's against the law that you could go to jail. <laughs> yeah, except, I mean, they, they handle that pretty well. Like, it gets to a point where you, you understand what's really happening and why certain people know and certain people don't. But it's less about being against the law and more about your personal history, your personal feelings walking into that room, and how do you separate yourself from that in order to make progress? And a beautiful allegory for where we are today, because we have lost that ability. Well, not only that, you know, when all, you know, it's funny, everybody was saying, in the reviews that I read, they were all comparing it to what's happening now in Israel, but for me, it's also what's happening in our own country, like, enough about outside countries. The chasm is growing so deep between Americans, you're on one side or you're on the other, and it's that same sort of hatred is being born out of this moment in history. And what I realize is you don't need 4,000 years of history to come to a, a moment of hatred. You don't need it. Yeah, but that's the thing where I would say that this is different and where I wish they had spent a little bit more time understanding how ingrained 
conflict, then you pick a side and that's it, right? And that's your life. And that's what I wish they'd shown a little bit more of. And the situation now is very different. Hamas is a very different organization than the PLO. And Netanyahu is a very different prime minister than its upper was. Right. And if they do a movie about that, we will surely review it. But also, I was glad to watch because I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I forgot. I'm so sorry I forgot that these incredible men were slaughtered. You know, I'm so sorry that it's so easy to leave yesterday behind because there's so much happening today, you know. And, you know, that whole thing of history repeating itself and everything else, I just think it's a, a really wonderful film to watch with teenagers. I think it's a wonderful film to watch in business school. Yeah. Like, the art of negotiation there, I think, was, it's a really, could be a really interesting debate. I mean, I'm in business, and... And I think it could be a really interesting debate about some of the techniques, like maybe when you're negotiating, the idea of you'll eat your meals together and you will not discuss anything that's on the table during the meals. Yeah. And maybe that will end better. Maybe people will like each other better. And when you like somebody, you do want to help them more. You do want to give them more. You do want to uh, negotiate in a way that's good for both more. You know, you're not trying to beat the heck out of them. Well, of course, they're awesome, you know. And then, Peter Scott has a, a great moment because he's the one who sets the rules when they come in. But in this room, we are friends, right? And, and not just like, we're not just saying that we're friends. You are going to become friends in this room. We're going to behave as if you're friends. And by the way, if you behave like you're a friend, you end up becoming friends. No, you become a friend. And there's a moment where, in the very first round of negotiation, one of the economists comes up, there's this great breakthrough. And he, and he looks at Andrew Scott and he says, What do I do? And he's got this moment where he's like, oh, that's easy, right? And he knows the answer, and he's going to tell this guy. And Ruth Goldsmith just gives him this look of, like, don't you dare. They have to do this for themselves. Yeah. Because if anybody fixes this for them, it won't stick. Well, and it's funny because at one point she's asked to step in. You want to tell you what happened to there, There's a lot of action on the verbal stage. And, you know, a very static movie. Yeah. So I hope you watch it. I hope you'll take time to watch it, but watch it with somebody. Do not watch it alone. I made that mistake. But it will have you laugh. There are definitely more. Yeah. yeah. As levels, Andrew Scott is kind of a comedic genius. He finds those moments of levity and brings it to light. Ruth Wilson is able to kind of carry the intensity on her back, and then the rest of the characters you can fall along with. Yeah, we do. Anyway, so glad we watched it, aren't you? Yes, thank you for suggesting it. I know. Well, have you know, a bunch of people that I knew were saying, look, you got to watch this for what's happening this moment in time. So we moved it up. We, you know, I always had it in the queue, but we moved it up to do it this week, and I'm glad we did. So enjoy the week. Enjoy going out to the movies if you can. Enjoy watching on television. And please keep in touch. Uh, you can also send us an email at screenthoughts at gmail.com. Bye. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>